0: What do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean it? You are my rock, you are my glory, you are the lift of my I welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in Proverbs chapter 6, King Solomon holds up three kinds of men and cautions us not to become anything like them. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Seven Things the Lord Hates. All right, everybody, are you ready to get back in the book of Proverbs? Come on. I found myself just longing to hear the Word of God again and and, uh, just see the Holy Spirit doing His work in our hearts and lives through the preaching and teaching through verse by verse and uh, worshiping together. It's been a while. We've been off for about a month almost. Uh, So let's ask the Lord for His blessing and we'll get started. Now, Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for Your Word. We know it didn't have its origin in any man Uh, but you used holy men of old, your Holy Spirit just dictating uh, the words from heaven that bring life and light and truth and make us alive and give us eternal life. Father, help us to hear your still small voice and receive this for what it is, the Word of God, and to put it into practice and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, we're in the book of Proverbs, right? 31 chapters. Uh, Proverbs are gems of wisdom, heavenly truths that help us to live and avoid the pitfalls uh, that are out there in life so that we can be successful. Now, remember that it's heavenly wisdom and not just like secular Proverbs, right? James calls it wisdom from above. And uh, the context and structure for getting those gems of wisdom. Is not like a dry, boring list of do's and don'ts. It's this impassioned father's heart to a son that he loves and cherishes. Uh, uh, Originally, of course, that would be King Solomon uh, speaking to Rehoboam. uh, But uh, ultimately, and spiritually speaking, it's the Heavenly Father speaking to us, uh, just my son, my daughter, listen to my heart. I want the best for you. I don't want you to end up destroying yourself or or living less than my potential for you, which is blessing and joy and peace that passes understanding. And so, you know, it's so cool to me that God has just uh, given us 31 chapters of very day-to-day practical insights about how to deal with difficult people, how to deal with difficult situations, and just we have a place to go to keep reading and let this heavenly uh, wisdom rub off on us. So uh, tonight, uh, we're in chapter 6, and it's pretty straightforward tonight. He's going to try to convince his son he's not to be like three kinds of people. And uh, he's going to say, Son, I, I, you don't want to become... Uh, like the naive, gullible guy. So number one will be the gullible person who uh, is, lacks judgment in his personal life and specifically finances. So the naive person with finances. You, you don't want to be that guy. And secondly, you you don't want to be the lazy man. So the dreadful consequences of being lazy. And then thirdly, you don't want to be the troublemaker. Uh and, and you don't want to be any of these three because they all put themselves at terrible risk. And that's the point. Deuteronomy, the giving of the law, you'll remember that Moses says, and the Lord is speaking, he says, I give you these commandments today for your own good. And God is always thinking about us, not trying to keep us from certain things or pleasures or to restrict our lives, but to bless us and to keep us safe. So tonight, pretty straight open, pretty straightforward, I should say. Uh, the naive, the gullible, the lazy man, and the mischief maker or the trouble. Maker, So it starts out first with the the naive person person who can't really find the judgment in his own personal affairs and and the finances take a toll. Here we go. Let's dive in. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you struck hands and pledge for another, if you've been trapped by what you've said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son. You see that passion, my son, to free yourself since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go, humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is a trapper, right, or a hunter, All right, let's pause there and talk about this naive, gullible gullible individual. And there are two ideas here in the paragraph that's staring at you. One is implied to have the the sense to underwrite or guarantee someone else's debt. Now, when it says to uh, put up security or strike hands in a pledge, it really is open-handed slap like a high five, like a handshake Uh, an agreement, right, and two. So this is what he's talking about here is really co-signing or putting your, yourself in a situation uh, where you sign on the dotted line and, and you are as equally responsible for that debt as the original purchaser of whatever that is. And so the second, so the first implication is don't, don't get yourself in the situation. The second piece of advice is if you wake up one day and find out, whoops, I've made a really bad call, get yourself out of the mess you got yourself into immediately. And so those are the two ideas here that are, we're going to talk about. So the Bible doesn't discourage generosity. In fact, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, it's just the opposite. We're, we're supposed to have a heart for people in need. And, and Jesus said, give to those who, who ask of you. Right, give, and and don't, uh, the Old Testament was really big on if you're going to make a loan or you're going to give, you, you really do it without interest and almost as a gift. And you would give uh, only what you could afford to give, and what how God prompted you. So uh, it was an ad, there's always an admonition to be responsible, good stewards, and generous, uh, but not to gamble. There's an idea here of gambling to put your your livelihood and your resources up uh, at risk in an unwise and unspirit-led. Way. And so wise people don't put themselves or their livelihood at risk. They don't co sign loans. They don't put themselves up as collateral. In the Old Testament, uh, they would put their cloak up for collateral, as collateral, to guarantee a debt, right? That, that cloak really stood for their person. So, so really, whatever that person owned or the person's ability to work as a slave or a servant or, or their houses or their assets. So the cloak was not just the garment. They would come and take the cloak, but they would take the person as well. And so it was an unwise thing. And by the way, the other verses in Proverbs that talk about don't do these kinds of things. Uh, chapter 11, verse 15 17, verse 18, chapter 20, verse 16, chapter 22, verse 26. Do not put yourself in a situation that causes you financial risk in this, in this way, unwise way. Let me read to you from the, the Federal Trade Commission's warning about co-signing. You are being asked to guarantee this debt. Think carefully before you do. If the borrower does not pay the debt, you will have to. <coughs> Profound there, right? right. Well, some people don't stop to, to realize that. Be sure you can afford to pay if you have to and that you want to accept this responsibility, you may have to pay up to the full amount of the debt if the borrower does not pay. You may also have to pay the fees and cancellation and collection costs. There's lots of those, uh, which increase this amount. The creditor can collect this debt from you without first trying to collect it from the borrower. It goes straight to you. Uh, the creditor can use the same collection methods against you that can be used against the borrower, such as suing you, garnishing your wages, and so on. It's the and so on you really want to avoid. <laughs> if this debt is ever in default, that fact may become a part of your credit record. Now, I went on a FICO web page and I just uh, saw this blog and it's said in big letters. It says um, it says please read for your own financial safety. Right? It says, "Briefly, here's my situation. I am the co-signer of a $60,000 Sally Mae private student loan where the primary borrower has defaulted on me, meaning they have told me they cannot pay a dime." have no intention of changing their lifestyle to do so and will not tell me when, if ever, they will make good on this. (laughs) Meanwhile, as the guarantor of the loan, I have been subjected to the full force of Sally Mae Collection Agency's practices and forced to face the music while the primary person on this loan can blissfully ignore the situation as if it were not even happening." He goes on to say, my post is lengthy. But please be patient and read it. It could literally save your financial life. <laughs> Poor guy. You know, but it is. I, I admire this guy because he's saying, you know, learn vicariously through me. I was thinking with my heart, not with my head. And listen, Christian, do not think with your heart. Your heart is not equipped to lead you, right? Your, 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 your spirit-filled the Holy Spirit guides us through the word of God, and we don't just uh, answer the promptings and the, uh, how we feel on the inside, but we follow the word of God. Amen? Amen. And so, you know, listen, if the person uh, was qualified and trustworthy for the credit in the first place, why would they be needing you to back them up? right? Okay. I see elbows flying, and that's a bad <laughs> sign. Here's what Ray Ortland said. If you put your financial future in the hands of someone the banks already think is a bad risk, you are acting irresponsibly yourself and encouraging irresponsibility in the other person. So that guy, you know, he went on, you know, he told his whole story, and then he gave some lessons. He said, listen, If you have money and you can afford it, only loan what you can afford and loan it out as a gift. And there's lots of ways to help your college students. Uh, And there are ways not to enable bad behavior, ways not to spoil people, but ways to be a blessing. If you want to pay for somebody's whatever and you can afford, pay for the whole thing. But as a gift, I think personally, if you're ever gonna loan somebody money, you should just gift it. And I, especially if they're related to you. Just pretend like you're never gonna see that money again, because guess what? You're not. <laughs> For the most part, <laughs> there's always exceptions. But it's so much easier if you just say, hey, this is a gift, there it goes. And so uh, this is what he's talking about. He's saying, be smart. Be smart and don't put yourself in harm's way. Now, what if you wake up the next morning and you realize, uh, dear God, what have I done? I have signed on the dotted line. Um, I've just obligated myself. And I want to expand your thinking here, not just to to think contractually with a financial arrangement because we often wake up on the other end of stupid and think, you know, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Uh, Can I just be real with you, you know? And and think, dear Lord, what have I done? And so the the uh, oh, some very wise counsel here: deal with it immediately. Do not let time uh, when you when you took a wrong turn you're going down a wrong path, and you know you've obligated yourself in some way, and you shouldn't have done it, do not go deeper down that path because you're just heading out further away from safety and into deeper woods there in the forest. That's just not a good thing to do. So great advice is, is right here in the scriptures for us about all missteps. Any misstep you've taken, a purchase, a relationship, a promise, a contract, a pledge, a sin of some kind. Now he's assuming that there's a cooling off period. Okay, a cooling off period is is an agreement that, you know, when you purchase something. Uh, there's an agreed amount of time that you can bring it back and get your money back. Now, in, if you're buying a car in California, uh, there's a big sign right there that you should read. It says, in all caps, no cooling off period in California. When you sign, it's done. That's your car. All right? And so, but he's saying here, the Holy Spirit, he's saying, do everything in your power to reverse, to remedy the situation. Once you've put yourself in harm's way, try to get out of it. And so before the ink has time to dry, uh, before uh, the relationship goes any further, uh, before uh, the delivery is made, um, before you start your first day at the job that you shouldn't have taken, You know, I have a friend who uh, had a drinking problem and he was looking for a job. He couldn't get hired. And then finally he was so happy. He said, I got a job. I got a job. I'm so happy. And I said, where did you get a job? And he said, I'm going to be a bouncer at the bar. (laughs) And he has a drinking problem. It's it's like, okay, uh, you already did the paperwork. Everybody kind of, you got everything going. You even got trained. It'll be very humbling for you to go in and say, listen, I made a mistake. I know you invested already in me and all this. It's always going to be humiliating to try to get yourself out of something you got yourself into. But the humility is better than the bad consequences of a poor decision. And that's what he's saying to do. Go and humble yourself. The word there is let them trample upon you. Just lay yourself out and just confess your stupidity and and pester and badger and beg and cry and negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Phone calls, hire a lawyer, write letters, phone calls, you know, find a loophole. Now this dude who did the Sally Mae $60,000 boo-boo, he, on page 27, (laughs) oh, he was looking. That guy, you could read the the passion. He was going to get out of it, right? On page 27 in the fine print, it says if the cosigner makes 24 consistent on time payments, cosigner shall be released from the total of the loan. On page 27, down there, you know, just one little sentence. Oh, he found it, right? And so he's still mad. He's still angry. He's still stung. But this is what, what he's saying is, you know, you know what's weird? Come on, say, ask me. Come on, I asked you. did you know what say. Thank you. Oh, it's weird when I'm counseling somebody and I want to rescue them more than they want to be rescued out of their bad situation. I'm like, do you even care as much? I'm like, oh, you've got to do something. And they're like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's why you need an admonition, because we're we're kind of like because it takes work and humiliation and a little you know, and so we kind of avoid it and it only gets worse. And so uh, he says, don't go to bed until it's resolved, till you fix it. Don't eat until you're set free. Don't even go to the bathroom until you get this thing right. I, I mean, seriously, I'm talking, he says, you're like a gazelle with one leg in the noose or a bird that's flying right into the net. Do something. Do something. Did you, have you made a decision? Are you on the wrong path? Are you in the midst of spending more than you make or whatever it is that you're doing? Stop, humble yourself, and get it right. But get it right tonight. Because tomorrow, 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 God knows us, man. He just nails us right there. So good news for everybody before we move on. Job says something that I love. He said, Lord, would you be my surety? Would you cosign for my life? He says, really, in chapter 17 there, Job, he says, God, I'm a bad risk. I need you to do for me what I wouldn't do for someone like me. I want you to cover all my bad promises and all my sins and all my falling short. And God says, got it. And he sent Christ. And Christ sent the Holy Spirit after he died for all of our bad sins and our debts, right? And the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14 is called the guarantor. It's the same understanding, the redemption of our debt and our soul, where Jesus cried out in an accounting term in Greek there, teleo. It means it is paid in full. It is finished. And so really, we have somebody who could afford uh, to co-sign on our very souls. And and that is uh, very encouraging. So yes, be generous, be responsible, but be smart and discerning. And, and, you know, if you put yourself in a pickle, then make haste to save thyself. All right? So now we're moving on here. He says, son, don't be gullible. And now he's going to say, don't be lazy. Go to the ant, you sluggard. I mean, he's not going to mince words here. This Laziness is not something God really uh, likes or tolerates very well. Go to the sluggard, consider its ways, and be wise. Uh, go to the ant, rather, you sluggard. <laughs> it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Oh, I know what you're saying. A little sleep, a little slumber. I got to fold my hands and rest, whatever. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. So number two note takers, watch out for a lazy spirit. Now, why did his mind go here? I'm thinking that his last thought was free yourself. And that's going to take a lot of work. And some people don't want to do that work. And then now he's thinking, oh, lazy, right? So it's a kind of a separate topic, but it's kind of linked together. So he's saying uh, here, laziness has dreadful consequences. Uh, Don't go there. Uh, Now, laziness is the default mechanism in every fallen soul. There's a sluggard deep within every heart here, including mine. Now, some people just are blessed with a, with a propensity to do hard work, and, and God bless us all in that. And there are some people who like that, you know, uh, generally speaking. Uh, but it, really, to work hard and to, to want to work uh, is a grace from heaven. And uh, we could all point fingers at lazy people. But to tell the truth, uh, we all struggle with one, one form of laziness or another. I, I read some funny stories about how lazy are you? And they're like, oh, I'm so lazy. And then the stories, oh, my <laughs> word. One of the stories was he's sitting there <clears throat> watching television. And the, and the volume is too low. So he's already settled in to his comfy, cozy recliner, right? And the remote is way across the room. And so he has his phone. So he downloads an app on his iPhone and turns up the volume from his phone. Yeah, you can do that. There's an app for that. You didn't know that? I thought you'd get a kick out of that more. But, all right. but apparently you already all do that. So you're like, yeah, so... How about this dude? Okay, come on, this one's a good one, all right. This dude, he, he said, I'm so lazy, I ordered pizza from Domino's. Not for the pizza, but because I was out on napkins. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't want to go out to the store just for napkins. So he said, I got a way to get the napkins delivered to me. And who doesn't want a Domino's pizza, you know? He didn't even eat the pizza. I threw it out. Just kidding. I was like, I'm not the guy anyway. All right. A personnel manager told a job applicant, listen, buddy, we'd like to hire you, but we're overstaffed. We just have too many people doing the same job and don't, don't, yeah, sorry. And, And, but the would be employee persisted and he said, listen, The little bit of work that I would do, you'd hardly even notice it. (laughs) (laughs) You like that one. All right. The Lord does not like laziness. Oh, he doesn't like it. Because listen to his attitude about it. He's like, I'm going to taunt you. I'm going to make fun of you. I'm going to call you out. You know, and so here it is. He speaks in derogatory terms, demeaning descriptions, and why? Uh, One writer said he thinks it's because the lazy person, uh, it's a breach of love to the community. And, And when a person is lazy, they become a burden to others. Right. And so uh, so uh, it's just offloading all your responsibilities on somebody else. And God, I think God just picks up the offense to the body, the community, and and, uh, he just doesn't tolerate it very well. There are 25 direct references in the scriptures, uh, admonitions to hard work and prohibitions to the slothful. Now, sloth, speaking of sloth. All right. Let me show you a picture. This is where we get the word sloth is because sloths, they're really cute and they make adorable stuffed animals, but they're useless for everything else, all right? (laughs) They eat one leaf. I went online. I Googled this, okay? They eat a leaf and it takes them a month to digest it. So they have to spend 80% of their time resting to conserve energy, while they're digesting their one leaf a month. All right, so so for slow-moving people, we call it being slothful. That's where it comes from. Thank you for that picture. I think there's a, yeah, you can go back to the words. And so, uh, you know, he doesn't like, want us to be slothful. There's all all kinds of things in the the Old Testament and New Testament that just lay it out so brutally. The Holy Spirit pulls no punches with lazy. He says, lazy people are too lazy to lift the food from the plate to their mouths. Wow, that, what an insult. Proverbs 26 and verse 15 says that. Then he says, lazy people are such an irritation to employers. Um, Proverbs 10 and 26 says, Like vinegar to the teeth or smoke to the eyes is a lazy person who's employed to do something. You know, um, uh, lazy people make up excuses. They're always got an excuse. You know, uh, chapter 22 and verse 13 says, um, Lazy people are always saying, oh, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed if I go out there. Meaning, I never knew what that meant. Meaning, and I knew a long time ago or when I was studying, uh, it means... You know, I can't go work the fields because there are lions out there. You know, so there's a lion waiting. If I go out to to get a job, there's a lion right there, out there, and I'm going to get killed. Always making excuses like that. And so, listen, there are reasons people don't work, but God has our number down. He knows the people who are working or not wanting to work because they're lazy They want other people to take care of them. Uh, We were at the pool of Bethesda. We were standing right where John 5 happened, where Jesus looks at the lame guy, lame man, and he says to him, hey, do you want to get well? He's implying that the guy doesn't want to get. He's grown accustomed to being lame. He likes other people carrying him around and doing everything for him. So Jesus calls him out and says, do you even want to get well? The, the, the rhetorical question is implying, no, you don't. But God knows our hearts. He knows who's hurt and injured. He knows who's dealing with mental illness. He knows all of that. But he calls and puts his finger on us and says, listen, stop making excuses. Bite the bullet. Get up. Start to work. Don't be lazy. God expects hard work. I, I mean, Jesus, a carpenter, A hardworking carpenter. Proverbs 31, she's a model for every woman. A whole chapter of this industrious woman who from sunrise to sunset, you know, she knows how to rest. She knows how to take vacation. She knows how to sit and read her Bible. She knows all of that, how to take a walk. She's got that. But by and large, this is a woman who's always got something going because she's other-centered. It's other-centered people who are busy at work. Now, he says, take an example. Listen, how tall are you? 5'9". All right, how much do you weigh? 160. Okay, maybe 190. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever, give or take 30 pounds. How much does an ant weigh? 0.00007 of one ounce. You got what? A couple hundred pounds going, right? You've got a body, a mind, a brain that's bigger than their whole colony of an anthill, right? And yet he he's going to say, I want you human being to take a lesson from an ant because you humans have a lazy problem, but ants don't. You never find a lazy ant. There's no such thing because they're smart. They have instinct. And he says, in that little brain, that must be... Less than point zero 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 seven of an ounce, right? Because it's a little part of that ant. In that brain is an instinct that says we need to be industrious because it's good for us. And what about you? Wow. So he says, bend over, watch, and learn this from a creature that doesn't weigh an ounce. So lesson number one, The ant doesn't need a supervisor, doesn't need a leader, doesn't need a boss who's always checking in and saying, did you do that? Did you do this? Can you think of this? Can you think ahead? Could you get going? Could you do something? No, 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 no. An ant that can fit under my fingernail doesn't need that because it already knows I need to work because working is good and working will provide for me. That's what he's saying. Doesn't need oversight, doesn't need constant prodding, doesn't need, you know, surveillance cameras to check and make sure your employee's doing what they should be doing. She just knows what to do. And by the way, the Hebrew has the ant as a girl. It has it a feminine form of the ant. And do you know why? Of course, it's the female ants that do all the work. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I know I Googled it. I shouldn't have. Lesson number two, the ant, lesson number two is the ant, she understands seasons. She can plan. She knows, hey, there's lots of food here. You know why it's July 4th? This is a very busy holiday for the ant, right? And it says, (laughs) we are going to work hard while these humans lay around, all right? So these humans lay around, they overeat, they know it well. They overeat, they lay, lay, leave all their stuff on the picnic table, and we're going to work. Why? Because we know that there's going to be a day when the food isn't going to be around. It's called winter, right? And so in the brain of an ant, it can plan and has foresight and instinct to know. It's all not always going to be like this. Um, put some food away for a rainy day in the winter and it does it. so it does to do it's self-motivated it's a hard worker and it knows enough to plan and have foresight because i'm going to buy that car or i'm going to buy a house or or i'm going to send a kid to school or i'm going to retire or i'm going to make a big purchase or we want to go on a honeymoon the ant's got that down the ant would just, just just put it on its excel spreadsheet and, and uh, <laughs> plan away and get ready with Veterans Day. And when we lay all the stuff out at the barbecue, they come in and they send their troops. All right, verse <laughs> verse 9. He's Now he's going to bring it home. Are you ready? He's going to say, and what about you? What about you? Here comes the strong language. How long are you going to lie there? Just curious. Just want to know. How long are you going to just play your video games, do your thing on the couch while everybody else runs around and serves you. Just curious. When are you going to stop making excuses, leaving the room, or getting lost when it's time to clean up? You know, kids really are good at that. (laughs) You know, they're good right when the food is being served, but they're kind of absent when it's being prepared and the table's being set, and then somehow they all get tummy aches right after dinner's Eaten, and then when it's time to clean up, there's just not a lot of people around. Why is that? He's asking. He's how long is this going to be like this? Uh, Or, or you know, you know, when I say something like this, test yourself here. After service, I forgot to tell you this, and I need to tell you this now while I'm thinking about it. We need all these chairs. All these chairs got to be moved to the NPR for Sunday. We have a special thing going on. This weekend, so if you wouldn't mind helping after this service, we got to take every last one of these chairs out and put it in the NPR. Now, how did you react to all of that? Because that's not true, but I'm just showing you that <laughs> I'm showing you where did your mind go? Well, suddenly you 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 know uh, oh, oh well too bad I can't be around for that or whatever. All right, so. You know, who wants to take every last chair out of here? Nobody, not even me, nobody. There's not one person. Even the person who goes, "That I'll do it. He doesn't want to do it. He does not want to do it. He's acting. It's called maturity. It's called character. It's called the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to do it, but he's a mature Christian. Now, he may have the gift of help. So that if that's on board. God bless you, because that's very helpful, amen. But you know what I'm saying. Okay, I think that, I think that we got this. So uh, laziness, he says, payday, uh, verse 11. The sad consequences of your dreadful behavior is a dramatic metaphor. He says, you're gonna be on your couch and you don't change your lazy ways. Someone, you're gonna, you're gonna allow a bad guy, an armed guy, to come into your house and take you hostage. And the bad guy has a name. Poverty and scarcity. There are going to be two of them. They're going to come in, and because your your behavior is welcoming them, you're kind of telegraphing out there, come on in, break into my house, and take me hostage and my family because of your laziness. Now, poverty, it's a very specific word that... Does it? It's not the usual word for being poor, because people are poor in all kinds of situations. They're hard workers, and and the regular word for poor is a different word. This poverty is self-induced by bad behavior, like derelicts or drunkards. It, in the Old Testament, it's tied to bad behavior, that you be, by your sinfulness or your wrongdoing, you have brought a, a complete destitution upon yourself. And, and that's it. I mean, there's no crime in being poor. And there's no blessing or honor in being poor either. It's all about your heart, right? So he's not getting down on, on, on people who are poor. He's saying uh, bad behavior like laziness and disconnecting will, will bring about to you a terrible problem called poverty. Now, just a reminder... Spiritual laziness, oh my word, it's the number one cause of immaturity in the church. Why are people spiritually immature? Number one reason, spiritual laziness. I don't want to do the work. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to do the emotional work of... Uh, denying self, picking up cross, and following. I don't want to be at every service. I don't want to help out here. I don't want to connect. I don't want to do the relational. It's all laziness. And so what I want to do is just, uh, you know, come to church and be fed. I want people to do my Christian life for me. I want to be fed. I'm sitting here. I open my, feed me. You know, And I'm supposed to, you know, everybody's supposed to feed you, take care of you, all the podcasts and everybody. And, and you're spiritual lazy. That's not good. That's not good. Moving on. <laughs> I can tell by your faces when I need to move on. <laughs> now he's going to go to number three. Guy, you don't want to be a scoundrel. Wow. You don't want to be a troublemaker. All right. A scoundrel And villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks with his eye, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up dissension, and he never shuts his cell phone off before service. That's in the Hebrew. It's really hard to see, but it's there. Uh, Verse 15, therefore disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. So the the third and final fella that uh, King Solomon does not want Rehoboam to become is a bad guy, a shall we call him a um, troublemaker. He doesn't want him to go to the dark side. Okay, so it's a warning uh, against being devious. Now, the sad part, uh, part and parcel of life, is is that we all have that nature to begin with in life, that we start out, especially boys, we start out as schemers and mischievous and troublemakers. It's in the, the sinful DNA. And uh, you know, it especially comes out when you go into puberty, though some people will say the terrible twos, you do see a lot uh, there as well. But you know, sneaking out of the house, lying to your parents, cussing with the cool kids, egging cars, egging cars. You know, you're you up on a hill, you have a box of eggs, and the cars are going by, and you're just throwing the eggs over you, because know, that's fun. Right? Okay, I'm just telling you, breaking windows, the sound of rocks through glass, vandalizing, trespassing, stealing, dirty jokes, you know, profanity—all of that stuff is in a, in a young man's heart that grows up without Christ, and I, and maybe in and and girls have their own struggles, and he's saying, unless you have a come to Jesus moment. Unless you make a clean break with what comes natural to childhood and the worldliness and the and the and the deceit in our own wicked human hearts. Jeremiah 17:9 says, "The human heart is deceitful beyond all things." Who can understand our hearts? I mean, why do we all that list I just gave you? Why? Why would a kid want to do that? I'm sure there are some kids that don't act out like that, but the majority of them, even if they're not acting out, they're thinking about it. It goes through their minds, everything that I talked about, you know? And so he's saying, you know, son, make the choice to become a good man, to exit that natural bent. And, and start walking with God, and then God changes our hearts, and God enables us. So the first description here, quickly. Now, a scoundrel slash villain, two words in Hebrew that mean wicked and worthless. Can you imagine finding out at the end of your life that you were worthless? What good did you do because you were this kind of person? Unregenerated. Just no value, no value to God, no value to others. What a terrible thing. So he describes him. He says, his speech is crooked, verse 12. His thoughts are crooked. He stirs up dissension. Uh, Verse 13, he's always winking when the eyes are motioning with the hands or the feet. In other words, he's always up to no good, but it's beneath the surface, so he's always like winking. He's always got something going on, up to no good that no one else can see except his homies, you know, and he's telling everybody, hey, yeah, I got this, and we're going to go do that and this and the other thing. Now, now and what's up with stirring up uh, dissension? During stirring up dissension, if you want to recruit somebody to your side, first you have to kind of plant seeds of bitterness to kind of win them over, to join the cool kid pack, you know, and to do the things and say the things that, that are not right. And so what he has to do is first get someone to be bitter against the parent, you know, or a teacher or an employer or a pastor. So, so those seeds go into somebody and says, oh, look at that and what a hypocrite there. And, and, and so that you will be able to be divided from your positive influence so that you be easily recruited because people who go down the wrong path want company. They don't want to go by themselves. And so that person, if they've got their feelings hurt about something or whatever, they're always trying to get, uh, garner support. And so how they work is to divide uh, people. And their end is a no-brainer, verse 15 um, they're working against the Lord he's working righteousness they're working wickedness he, he's working truth they're working lies uh, he, he, uh, so they're going to end up with God's judgment and if they don't repent uh, he's saying there's no remedy look at that <laughs> verse 15 people are one heartbeat I, Barb and I saw somebody, something on the news it was local news Last night, somebody went into a gas station, armed with a rifle, you know, a shotgun, whatever, and he punched the woman, a little woman, in the face and knocked her out. You may have seen it. I might have been in San Jose, somewhere like that. That guy is one heartbeat from eternal death. Just a heartbeat. That's not a lot. Boom, 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 boom. Eternal destruction and judgment of God. Everybody who doesn't know the Lord is not redeemed who's living their own life is in that kind of peril. One breath. Oh, I just I, I just look at that guy, it's like, wow, oh, he's he's just dangling by a thread. And then God, and he says, There's no remedy once the cord's been cut, just that one heartbeat stops. There's nothing you can do for all eternity. That just gives me a a desire to preach the gospel and to work harder at the job that I do, you know, that we all do to shine bright, you know. So he says, listen, son, it's cool in the movies and it's fun when you're with the hip crowd at school or when... All the cool people at work, you're in with them or you're in the locker room. You know, that's cool. The movies make it cool. But in the end, when you stand before your maker, oh, if you're not right with him, it's eternal and there's no remedy and your life will be destroyed. Now, he just finishes up. These are just going to be one liners. He finishes up with these verses that say, hey, they're about this kind of guy. There are seven things about them that they do that the Lord hates. Here they are. There's seven of them. He says, about a scoundrel, there's seven things that the Lord hates. Let me list them for you. So he says, there are six things the Lord hates. This is Hebrew poetry. Seven that are detestable to him. Detestable means he really hates it. It's a word, abomination. It means it it makes him nauseous. So uh, number one, haughty eyes. It just means these kinds of people, they have a proud look, an arrogance that says, I'm better than everybody else, and I don't care what God says or thinks. Number two, God hates a lying tongue. Uh, In Hebrew, it's tongue of deception, It's to deceive or to betray. Jesus tells us in John 8 that Satan is the father of lies. And one writer said, we are never more like the devil than when we lie. Number three, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Uh, Mankind, men and women, we're made in God's image and we are the object of God's great love. So when somebody strikes to kill or to wound, a human being, they're striking at God and at the object of God's great love. And that is why God has the death penalty, a capital offense for those who kill his image and the object of his great love. Number four, God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. Uh, That constant planning to do wrong, just a, a bent to do evil. Number five, of feet quick, he God hates feet that are quick to rush into evil. There's an eagerness to sinning, just can't wait to. He hates that. Number six a false witness who pours out lies is a little different than the lying tongue. This one has an object in its aim, and it's another human being, it wants to tear down someone else, making up stuff to tear somebody else down, right? And so God says, I hate that. And number seven, a person who stirs up dissension among brothers. God considered Israel a congregation and they were all brothers. So when, when there was division stirred up against the leaders in Israel, the congregation, God says, just, I hate that. And by the way, when the Hebrew poetry goes six things God hates, seven that are detestable, it's the seventh that is the most important. It's a, uh, a thing that they did with Hebrew poetry uh, to, to emphasize the last thing said. And so that was a big deal. So if you want to end on a, on a happier note, which I want to, so you can look at these seven things and reverse it And know what God loves, right? So number one, instead of haughty eyes, he loves humility. God loves humility. Uh, The word just means to lay low, to consider others better than yourselves. Uh, Number two, uh, if he hates a lying tongue, he loves truthfulness. No matter what the cost, just truthful. Truthful, speaking the truth in love. Number three, if he hates hands that shed innocent blood, he loves protecting people. He loves when you come to somebody's defense, both physically and uh, I think spiritually speaking as well. Number four, if God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes, he loves when we have pure thoughts. Good when we're thinking, how can I better serve him? Wow, what a thing to go to bed sleeping instead of laying down on your bed, gentlemen. And letting your mind drift anywhere you want to go. And just thinking you're in the privacy of your own thoughts. Instead of doing something that God hates before you go to bed. Think on things that God loves. How can I bless him tomorrow? How can I bless my wife? How can I, Or if you're single. How can I be a blessing to the church or whatever these things? Number five, if God hates feet that are quick to rush into evil, uh, he loves eagerness to do good. Just can't wait to read my Bible. Can't wait to give. Can't wait to bless people. Can't wait to encourage. If God hates a false witness who pours out lies, he loves people who build up other people, who say, hey, wait a second here. I don't think you know the whole story. And come to somebody's defense and stand up for somebody. That are getting dragged in there. And if God hates a person, really, who stirs up dissension, and it's hard to hear that, right? Because we say, well, doesn't God love everybody? I think of all people, God knows how to hate this sin and love the sinner. For God so loved the world. He loves us. There are things that he hates. And he's not afraid to tell us. So if he hates stirring up dissension, he loves those who just try to make peace in every situation. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. That is an awesome saying found in Matthew chapter five. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples. Lord, we just learn and grow. Lord, we, we've all been spoken to. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for encouraging us and strengthening us and, and, and correcting us, Lord. And we all got called on the carpet and all of our toes got equally stepped on. And, and in such a good way, Lord, we want to be transformed and changed. Uh, none of us have arrived. Lord, we just need your power to change in Jesus' name.